that do not know him. He is our uh, national missionary with the North American Mission Board. He serves as a mobilization missionary to Appalachia. He, served, he serves a 12-state region. Uh, he also serves in the R Mississippi River Ministry that covers an eight-state region. Uh, he is uh, leading an effort to mobilize churches and individuals to minister to the spiritual and the physical needs in these two very needy and impoverished areas. He was born in Charleston, West Virginia. Uh, he has degrees from several colleges, Dalton State and Shorter College. And also uh, he and David went to school together at Tennessee Temple. And he is married to Arlene and they have two sons, Brad and Alex. And he is our North American Mission Board, and so would you, a um, missionary from the board, so would you please welcome this morning, Bill Baker, Barker. <laughs> I knew I'd do that. I don't care if you call me Bob or Bill, <laughs> Barker or Baker, just so you call me at supper time. <laughs> Oh, Brother John, it's such a delight and a joy to be here today, and thank you for affording this opportunity and privilege to share with your folk about what God is doing, and thank you, Karen and Ken, for making this possible, and for the delightful time I had last night with your associational missionary and leaders in your association, and your pastor and Lou were there, and it was a delight and a joy to get to know them. And I told him I pastored for right at 30 years, and he was a brave man. And he said, how's that? And I said, because I was a total stranger, and you still allowed me to come and to share in your pulpit. That is a scary thing for a pastor, especially when he cares about his flock and his sheep. And he let me know he had checked me out. So anyway, uh, I wonder where those FBI agents came from the other day. But uh, it is good to be here. And I just want to say thank you for all that you do. And thank you for your support of the cooperative program, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. It's those two offerings that make it possible for me to serve as your missionary. Over the years I served in Georgia as a Georgia Baptist pastor, I led the churches that I pastored to move to a percentage basis and then on to 10% of what they gave toward the cooperative program then beyond that to the associations and to those other special offerings. But they were just offerings that we took up and we participated in. And occasionally we had a missionary to come by and to share with us what God was doing. On May the 1st of 2001, I moved to the other side of that fence. And I learned the true value of what happens as Southern Baptists cooperate together and work together for the kingdom cause of Christ. I stand and speak in churches that have two or three in attendance on Sunday morning, but they're faithful in their giving. I stood in a church in Kentucky that had about 56 senior adults. And when I say the word senior adults, I mean senior adults. At that time, I was about 55, and you would have considered me the nursery in that church. And yet at the end of the service, I had a 92-year-old man to come down front, and he said, I've never touched a real missionary. I've never spoken to a real missionary. I've went to this church all of my life, from nine months before I was born until today. He said, Mr., can I just kiss you on the cheek? And I said, yes, sir, you can. And he kissed me on the cheek, and then he stepped back, and he said, I wondered all these years where my cooperative program dollars went. Well, God is using them. And if you give to the Lottie Moon, and I know that you do, it's being used around the world to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have a dear friend. He serves today in one of those countries where his name cannot be mentioned. His emails will read from Mama M and Dr. J., but he will write, and he has done this for all the years I've been on the road, an email back to the States that says something like this, 
Today we had a birthday party at our apartment. 32 people attended. Four of them took a bath. <laughs> or he will say, we went down to the beach for a cookout. 16 went swimming. That's your cooperative program dollars and your Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon dollars at work reaching people around the world. I can't go to China. I grew up in the mountains of West Virginia, so far up in the head of a hollow that we piped in our sunshine and made our own moonshine. That's where I grew up. And I struggle with the king's English. Can you imagine me trying to speak Chinese? I get Jesus and Jesus mixed up in Spanish. And yet I'm able to be in China, able to be in India. I'm in the Bronx in New York, on the streets of Los Angeles, on Bourbon Street in New Orleans, in Indianapolis, all at the same time because I give to missions to the cooperative program, and you are too. Isn't that exciting? I haven't always been a Southern Baptist. Recently, a friend of mine who come out of the same background that David and I come out of, the independent Baptist background, Peter said to me, Bill, if you wasn't a Southern Baptist today, what would you be? And I smiled and said, ashamed of myself. Why? <laughs> so it, it, it's good to be a part of the family. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Perhaps your thinking was like mine was for many years. I was taught that this passage really didn't apply to us today. And that theology worked well until I read Isaiah chapter 58 and Ezekiel chapter 18, and I discovered that Jesus is merely giving an application of what God has already taught through the prophets. And it's just as valid today as it will be in coming days. For Jesus, as he talks about the judgment, he talks about the priorities of God. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he set upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all the nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, and the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on, the right, on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was an hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto the one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say also to them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw thee we in hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, as we open up the word of God and declare your truths, I ask this morning, Father, that you give us insight and wisdom 
And Father, that you anoint me and that I tell the stories that you want told of the work that you are doing up and down the Mississippi River Delta area and across Appalachia as the good news of Christ is being shared. And Father, this morning as we listen, give us ears that hear, a will that responds, a heart that says, yes, Lord, I want to be obedient to you. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I thank you for the privilege of serving as your missionary as I work across the Appalachian Mountain Range and up and down the Mississippi River Delta area. And as your missionary, I work in four primary areas in those two regions, and I have two couples that work directly under me that help in both regions. And together as we go out, our purpose is to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've seen over 95,000 people come to Christ in these last 16 years. We've seen almost a million Southern Baptists respond to do short-term missions. And I can take you all across Appalachia and show you the handwork of God's people as they are making a difference. If you could have been with me just a few years ago, you could have been with me when Grace Baptist Church was forming in Fayetteville, West Virginia. And you could have joined with me as I met with this congregation of people that were coming out of a liberal church. And they said, God has led us to contact Southern Baptists, and we would like to become a Southern Baptist church, but we don't know how. All we know is we agree with the way you do God's business. Can you help us? And we met with them and shared with them who we were and who Baptists were, and they said, that's who we are. And then they started growing, and 30 became 50, and 50 became 100, and 100 became 150, and they said, we have to have a church building. And I said, that's good news. And I contacted Baptist builders, and builders from Alabama, Georgia, North and South Carolina, and Florida came together. And from Memorial Day to Labor Day, they did what we call a 90% build. We did everything but the heating, electric, plumbing, air conditioning. Everything else was done by volunteers. And at the end of that time, Grace Baptist Church came together. And then the phone calls began to come in from the community as people began to share about these Baptist builders. You see, these Baptist builders, anybody here with Baptist builders, carpenters for Christ, nail benders, don't have a clue, there's one. You guys are crazy. They go out and they work all day long and come in at 5 o'clock and clean up and eat supper and then go out and go soul winning. One of the stories that came in came in from school superintendent in the area. He said, my wife and I, had been active in a Baptist church, and because of conflict, we dropped out of church. And then we had a child, and we've been away from the Lord for 15 years. We have a teenage boy. And one night, these two men came in, said they were there with Baptist builders building a church, and they just wanted to know if they could come in and talk to us. And they came into our house, these two strangers from down south. We enjoyed them coming, they talked funny, and we liked that. And so they came in and they sat down and we had a conversation, and then one of those men, a deacon in his church, said, tell me about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And he said, to my horror, I had to share with him that I was mad at God. He said, by the time those two men finished talking with me, my wife and I were on our knees recommitting our life to Christ. And then they looked over at our son and they said, well, tell us about your relationship with Christ. And he said, I don't have one. And they said, would you like to know Christ? And they said that night our son gave his heart to Jesus Christ. She said, that's important because you see, and then I remembered reading the headlines in the paper, 15-year-old teenager takes his own life. She said, our son suffered with depression. And she said, the fact that these two Baptist builders came by our home 
and shared with us Jesus, I now can rest assured of where my son's at for all eternity and that I'll see him again one day. But the story didn't stop there because in 2015, Grace Church planted I Heart Church in Beckley, West Virginia. And they called us and said, we're getting ready to build another building. And this time they were building a 20,000 square foot building and the church plant was already running over 250, which made it almost automatically the third largest Southern Baptist church in that state. And they said, can you help us? The Baptist builders came in and again they went to work. And I was there as they were setting the beams on the roof and I watched as Baptist men and women from all over the southeast together, together to build a church building. And the pastor from Grace Baptist stood there beside of me and tears streaming down his face. And he said, did you ever imagine this is what God was going to do? Then they had their opening day at the new church start. A sanctuary that would seat about 350 and they didn't have enough room the people who came. You didn't know that you was there, did you? You didn't know that you were involved in kingdom work beyond who you are. I work with church planters and existing churches and serving the poor. One of the key areas that we're working in and serving the poor as we share the gospel is to the Christmas backpacks. And for the time that I have this morning, I'm going to bring everything down and just focus there for a few moments because we are reaching out under the least of these as we reach out to touch children and families all across the United States. It started out as something just in Appalachia, then to the Mississippi River, and this year into New York City, and we're looking next year to go into other cities in the United States with the Christmas backpacks. Your state convention has partnered with with us for Mississippi River. And as Alabama Baptists are doing the backpacks and are going over into Mississippi River this year for the first time, we went down into New Orleans and George Ross, the church planner strategist there, was very pessimistic about Christmas backpacks. I mean, why could a backpack fill with a restock of school supplies, hygiene items, a new Christmas toy, new pieces of clothing, the Christmas story itself, and a Bible perhaps, but food in the bottom. What kind of an impact could that make on a child's life? And so George said to us, I want to do a limited amount this year because I'm really not sure this will work. But after that first block party event through one of the church plants, he called me up and he said, Bill, I have never seen hearts so open to the gospel of Christ. I've never seen anything prepare people to hear about Jesus. I've never seen such a tangible way of showing the love of Christ. He said, next year we want all we can get. Stories come out like the one on the screen. Ronnie Wyatt is a church planner that we've been working with for a number of years and Ronnie Wyatt is up in North Syracuse, New York, the poorest zip code in America. When you move there, you're at the bottom of the food chain in the United States. Ronnie was a North Carolina boy who heard about this place and he said, I want to go there and plant a church. And when he got there, all the churches were boarded up and had closed their facilities and moved out of the area because of crime and violence and prostitution and drugs. The Westminster Presbyterian Church was nothing but four by eight sheets of plywood. Trinity Methodist was the same way. First Baptist, just like at the Church of God, the house of prayer. Everyone had abandoned the area except Islam had moved in. The Virgin Mary Catholic Church had moved out. St. Joseph Catholic Church had moved out and Islam had moved in. And then came along this little Southern Baptist church planter he wanted a building, but nobody would rent him a building. So he went down to the Burger King and he said to the manager there, listen, can I have a Bible study here in your restaurant at night? And he said, mister, you can, but nobody comes out at night around here. It's not safe. And he said, well, I'm going to feed them if they come and it's a free meal. And he basically started the church working with homeless men and women. He fed them with your cooperative program dollars, by the way. He fed them. And they started coming and their lives started being changed. And soon he had a Bible study that was growing. And soon they had a Bible study at the Burger King and a more advanced Bible study in his home. And 
The first year we sent him Christmas backpacks, he went out into the community to give them away, but he couldn't give them away at the local school. The principal said, if we have a block party event at the school, these kids will get mugged. So he said, here is the names of some kids in deep need, and you can go to their homes and minister to them. And Ronnie went to one of the homes, and when he knocked on the door, a woman opened the door, and he immediately recognized the cold, hard eyes and the face. For you see, she was the streetwalker who applied her trade right in front of where they had their apartment and their Bible study. And Ronnie had witnessed to this woman many times, but her heart was cold, he said, as ice. And on this day, she said, what do you want? And he said, as he and his wife were standing there, the school told us that you have a little girl and we have brought her something for Christmas and some food for you. Can we come in? And she said, yes. And he said, he noticed immediately her countenance began to change. He said that night she allowed us to present the gospel to her in the simplest of terms and have prayer with her. And though she did not give her heart to Christ, he said we have continued to share Jesus with her without the hate in her eyes any longer. One house they went to knock on when they knocked on the door. A woman dressed in Arabic garb came to the door. Obviously she was Islam, a Muslim. And he introduced his wife and himself to her and said, the school has told us that you have a child and that, that it's Christmas and that we don't want to be offensive. And he said, because Islam is so strong in that part of North Syracuse, he said, we started to back away. And she said, no, please come in. They went in and she said, you can help me. My husband has been in jail for six months. I have no food. Ronnie said, what are your needs? And she told him and with that, Ronnie got a grocery box and went out and went to his house and to the store and got everything she needed, brought it back. She said, why are you Christians doing this for me? You know who I am? I'm Muslim. And he said, because of Jesus. Could I tell you about my Jesus? Ronnie said as we got ready to leave that night, she and her daughter both had knelt and trusted Christ as their Savior. He said a couple of weeks later, I was sitting there at my apartment studying the Word of God, and when suddenly there came a knock at the door, and he said it was a hard knock, and he said I opened the door, and he said there stood a man, obviously a Muslim, standing there, and he said, are you Ronnie Wyatt? And Ronnie said, I didn't know whether to say yes, or he lives next door. And he, he said, I, I, I said, yes, and he said, can I come in? Ronnie said, come in. And Ronnie said, man came in and looked at him and said, are you the preacher that came by and told my wife about Jesus? Ronnie said, I am. He said, I'm the husband that was in jail. Can you tell me about that Jesus? And that couple came to faith in Christ. Now, Ronnie has paid a price for that since then. But I can tell you this much. He has won more Muslims to Christ because of one Christmas backpack. This is a story that came from this year. Father trying to raise his son. Two years ago, his wife had left him for drugs. She pays for her drugs by selling herself out on the street. And this young father came to their Christmas event at the church that they had this year. And when he came with his son, he simply said, as his knees buckled and he collapsed in front of Ronnie, God has not forgotten me. We are watching as God is using the backpacks that you are giving to make a difference all across Appalachia as we reach out unto the least of these. We live in a nation where today we are struggling with poverty. We live in a nation today where one out of four children go to bed hungry almost every night. We live in a nation of 17.3 million children struggling with hunger. And we wonder how can they learn in school when their stomachs are growling. I have school teachers that tell me of football players that come to school on Monday 
and sit next to the garbage can where kids throw away their food. And if it's something that has not been eaten off of or it's a child who's eaten half of whatever they have that morning, but it's a child that they know they will simply take the food and eat it because they are hungry. One teacher wept and she said, I didn't realize how hungry they were. And I used to punish the center on our football team until I realized that from the supper before the game on Friday until Monday morning breakfast at school, he went without food. And she said, and my heart was broken. We're struggling in this country. Let me let you listen to the words of a young lady from The Hidden Children by Diane Sawyer. Diane Sawyer was born in Harlan County, Kentucky. At the age of four, her parents moved to Lexington, Kentucky. She, like most Appalachians, when we go back into the mountains, we really can't tell the real story because who would believe us if we did? It's so painful. But here is just one clip with a little girl named Courtney that she shares with us from the mountains. Who can wash away my sin? suitcase under the bed. Honestly, we can barely afford food. Whenever her food stamps are all gone, we, we run out of food. We don't have bread, we don't have meat. Last time we was out of food, the only thing we had in our fridge was butter and ranch. We're not like other people, we can't afford food after food after food. Fruits and vegetables, a rare luxury because of the expense. Their mother's food stamps are $523 a month. Milk runs out fast. Courtney's uncle, called Uncle Duck, puts Pepsi in two-year-old Sable's sippy cup. Courtney is one of those children whose face seems to reach right back across the centuries to the famous portraits by Walker Evans, Doris Ullman, Earl Palmer, where worry and wariness are in the faces of the children, and the adults are ravaged by exhaustion, defeat. we see the Sunday offering of $1.85. There by those of the church is poor. I pray God send somebody help the poor. While on the porch, Angel's mother Dinah still prays for her family to make it. Singing an old song, dreaming of a new day. In that video clip, Diane Sawyer featured five children from Eastern Kentucky. 
through your Southern Baptist missionaries that are working there. We were working, incidentally, with all five of those children, and it was Southern Baptists who stepped up to the plate to work with all five of those children after the TV cameras left. In the case of this young mother, it was a Southern Baptist dentist who made her a set of teeth and gave them to her and helped her to get transportation so that she didn't have to walk six miles one way to go to GED classes so that she could get a job. If you recall the story, there was a story of a young boy that wanted to go to college and he went to a secular school, but they did not help him. And it was Cumberland University, the Kentucky Baptist School, that stepped up to the plate and provided him with a full-pay college education and also provided him with spending money. And because he had come out of the mountains and he did not do so well in school as many of us, I took English 101 so many times, folks, that I had it memorized by the time I got through. And I took algebra, it was only the fourth time through that I made it. They called it bonehead in those days. I called it dumbhead, I was struggling with that. But uh, they provided him with tutoring and it came from your mission dollars from Southern Baptist life. Why? Because we wanted to share the love of Christ. And while we step out to minister to the children in a myriad of ways, we step out to touch their lives through the giving not only of the Christmas backpacks, but we step out to touch their lives through backpacks on the weekend. And your church is doing that, and oh, I applaud you for that. That is such a valuable ministry, and we're doing that all across the mountains. One of the ministries is Sacks of Love that works with over 400 kids in Harlan County, or I can go up into Owlswick County with Kay and Bud Underwood as they reach out to several hundred children there in the Boonville area, or up in Louisa, and on the list goes as we're trying to reach out to touch the lives of children through weekend backpack programs, or I can take you to Oceana, West Virginia, to Jim and Grace as they bring in about 60 kids who don't even know where their parents are. Mom and dad have split the sheet. They're either in prison or gone. They've been left with a grandmother, an aunt, a relative, or just somebody that will take them in, but there's no funding. And Jim and Grace every day bring those kids down to Harbor Light Mission and provide them with supper and after-school tutage to help them to be able to make a decent grade to get out of the mountains when they finish their high school education. And there's the joy of that, and there's the tragedy of that. In 2001, one of the ways that we began to develop was through the Christmas backpack, or what would ultimately become that. It started with one woman with a vision. I was asked to speak at North Lanier Baptist Church in Cumming, Georgia, and I'd just been called to be your missionary. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I'd only been on the field for a month, and I showed up at the church to speak, and the pastor, like myself, is ADD. That means we don't think, we just act. Our wires do not always connect. Y'all better be glad I took my little pill last night. I'd be preaching like a Baptist Pentecostal. And that morning he said, as the children, should have been leaving for the children's sermon, he said, I want all of you to come. Our missionary before he preaches is going to tell us a story. And all the kids came. And I sat down thinking, what can I tell these kids? And then it came to me from the book of Isaiah and Romans 10, how beautiful in the mountains are the feet of those who bring the good news. So I had every kid to take off their shoes and socks and wiggle their toes and admire their feet. And I talked about the children in the mountains who didn't have much, the poverty. I didn't think anything about it. The children went back with schools of delight to their mothers who were horrified at their kids running around barefooted in church and moms and kids left and we had the service and I went on my way. Then I got a phone call late October. A GA leader in that church had felt moved of God to put together 300 shoeboxes. Except those shoeboxes were really boot boxes. And they were for Appalachian children filled with school supplies and hygiene items and a Christmas toy. 
I was new. I confess as your missionary, I didn't know what to do with them. That's what Samaritan's Purse took care of. And they said, we've got 300, and they're to go to Appalachia. So I started calling state WMU executive directors at Appalachia and said, I've got 300 shoeboxes. They thought like I did. They said, that's Samaritan's Purse, Bill. I said, no, these are for Appalachia somewhere. The church finally called November, and they said, you've got to pick these up. I said, I'm on my way. I picked them up. That time you all gave me a little Plymouth Voyager van. I took the seats out of it. I had it stuffed full of 300 shoeboxes from front to back and over in the passenger side. I jokingly said, there's not even room for Jesus to ride with me today. It is full. Up the interstate I went and I made one more desperate call to Maxine Bumgarner, West Virginia. And I said, Maxine, I said, I've got these 300 boxes and I'm headed toward West Virginia. You have got to help me. And she said, Bill, I don't know what to do with them. But she said, call this lady. Maybe she can help you. So I dialed the number. And when I made the call by 2 o'clock that afternoon, just south of Knoxville, Tennessee, the lady answered the phone. I told her who I was and what my mission was. And all I heard on the other end of the cell phone was, <laughs> as she wept and sobbed. Then she told me her story. Black Wolf Baptist Church in Peyton, West Virginia, McDowell County. For many years, this bankrupt school system had provided school supplies for some elementary schools and over 300 students. The floods that year had washed out the bridge that went across to their church and because they did not have insurance to cover that, the church had had to deplete its funds to get the bridge put back in and had been out of commission for about four weeks and so they had no money for school supplies that year. The school system had been calling, begging for help. They had called churches they knew, but nobody had resources to help. But that morning, Nora and her friend had gathered at the church at 6 o'clock and buried their face in the carpet at the front of that church and pledged not to get off of their faces before God until God answered their prayer. And they began to plead with God. And when I called, she got up to answer her cell phone. You see, at this little Baptist church, they would run 20 to 30 on Sunday, but Sunday nights and Wednesday nights when they fed the kids a hot dog, chips, cookies, and cheap Kool-Aid, they would have up to 150 kids come out for a Bible lesson and food because they were hungry, some walking five miles on the railroad tracks. So that day as I got there, this testimony, there were wet circles on both sides where those two women had just laid with her faces in the carpet and prayed. As I began to share that story, churches began to respond by giving backpacks, and in 2011, we did 5,493 backpacks. Then I got a phone call saying, you can't use back, uh, shoe boxes anymore, I'm sorry, but shoe boxes, and I said, why? They said, that's a concept that belongs to someone else, and, and, and you're getting large enough that it's gonna infringe upon them, and, I called the Georgia Baptist WMU that was promoting shoeboxes that year for 2012 and they met and as I jokingly say, never make the WMU angry at you. <laughs> because they came back and said, we'll do backpacks. And by the way, the call that came was the best phone call we ever got. And there's no bigger cheerleader than I am for Samaritan's Purse to this day. It's a wonderful, wonderful ministry. When I pastored, we did it. If I pastored today, we'd do it, along with the backpacks. But you see, God has a plan. And we don't get angry, we just flow with God. He has a plan, and backpacks took off. We began to deliver them across the mountains to many different places, and suddenly we began to see God doing something that was different and glorious as we begin to take the Christmas backpacks out and 2012, we did a little over 5,100, but this past year, we did 51,471. We watched as lives were being changed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We watched as churches got involved. Here's a quick clip of a church up in Pennsylvania that's a new church start as they got involved. Thank you.
that little church, the kids had a Christmas backpack packing party, mission friends and RAs and GAs. And then they brought me in on Sunday and all the kids, I have a picture of all the kids gathered around me as they wanted to touch the missionary and have me to pray over them. And we prayed over the backpacks. But they got involved. And as we take the backpacks out, what are we doing with them? They're child focused. This is the child. We ask that the parent or the guardian be there and you will find that when we share the gospel, it's mainly the parents or the guardians responding to the gospel. It's Christ-centered. It's church-connected. We want to bring it back to that local church, but it's about Jesus. And you know what's interesting to me? We get public school systems calling saying, can you bring the backpacks to our school? One called in eastern Kentucky and they said, can you bring the Christmas backpacks to our school? We have about 800 students. And we said, well, but we want to share the good news of the gospel. And the administrator said, bring in somebody to preach like an old-fashioned Baptist evangelist and give an old-fashioned invitation. My kids need Jesus. An Alabama boy whose first name is Paul, whose last name I can't pronounce without butchering it. But he's at Calvary campus. Paul emailed me back and said, Bill, as I stood there before 800 students and shared the simple gospel story, I stood and wept because I never dreamed of a day when I would have that many kids in front of me sharing Jesus. Reports come in of 12 saved, 18 saved, 32 saved, 54 saved, 3 saved. Salvation reports as people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we're involved in missions. And yet again and again, the number one item we get thanked for is the food in the backpacks by the children as they open up their backpacks. I met the other day with your Alabama Baptist staff, and they set a goal of 6,500 for Alabama Baptist this year, and yours go unless you take them elsewhere down to work with us down on the Mississippi River. But as we take the backpacks out, we are attempting to share the good news of Christ. And what are we doing? We're coming back to Matthew 25. We are meeting physical needs and spiritual needs and emotional needs. We'll show you a clip from Bell County, Kentucky. As we went into one elementary school, after I had put the video clip together, the administrator of the school wrote me and said, oh, I forgot to tell you just one thing. She said, every kid, without exception, as they open their backpack and you see them taking the stuff out, were digging to the bottom to find the food because many of them needed something to eat. And here is that clip from Bell County. Oh, look at me! Oh, Children, behind every picture there's a story of a child. It's the little boy who opened his backpack and suddenly is running around the gym screaming at the top of his lungs, I've got new underwear, I've got new underwear. And then there's two little boys running around saying, I've got new underwear, I've got new underwear. It's the little girl who opens up a backpack and pulls out a purple and pink coat. A little girl that had showed up in Hines, West Virginia in the snow. A little girl who didn't have anything on but a sleeveless blouse. And she pulls out a backpack of her backpack, a coat, and she puts it on. And it's my favorite color.
And then she reaches into her backpack and pulls out a Barbie doll. And suddenly the mother is standing there in front of the pastor and say, Brother Gary, I'm a single mom. I'm working two jobs. I can't even buy a coat for my daughter. And tonight as I brought her out for this thing at the church, I said, dear God, if there is a God, you've got to show me because I don't think you care. She said, my daughter not only got a coat just her size, it's her favorite color. And said, all she has said to me she wanted this year for Christmas was a Barbie doll. There it is. Help me, Pastor Gary. That story is repeated again and again. It's the little girl who opened up her backpack last year down in Kentucky, and she pulled out a dress and carried it up to the teacher and said, I don't want this dress. And the teacher looked at it and shook it and looked at the size and said, it's your size, it will fit you, it's a pretty dress. I don't want it. I have one just like it at home. And she said it so emphatically that the teacher folded it back up and said, what do I do with it? So she decided to go down to the office and say, what do I do when a child refuses its gift? On her way, she met another teacher. The other teacher said, I was just on my way up to see you to ask a question. What's that you got in your hand? She said, a dress. The teacher took it and held it up and looked at it, and she said, oh, it's just what I need. It's just what I need. Why? I got a little girl in my room that's just bawling her eyes out. Said she's been praying to God and said, God, all I want is this dress for Christmas. That teacher said at that moment, the dress was just the other little girl's size. She said, at that moment, I knew there was a God. We watch as many school teachers come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you ask, what can I do? How can we as a church be involved with Alabama Baptists and making a difference in the lives of kids? You can do that by praying. Everybody can pray. Many churches do the backpacks and they have a Sunday of commitment and they pray over every backpack for the child receiving that to have just what they need and how the miracle of miracles works. You can do that by participating, by doing a backpack, by contacting your WMU and getting their information. Or you can do that by partnering and that's going to work directly with a church or ministry that's doing the backpacks. You see, as we do the backpacks, the stories begin to unfold. What kind of stories? I close with the story of one little girl whose picture is there. She's wearing a purple coat and fur-lined boots. She's in the second row from the top. She showed up at Pine Hill Baptist Church, Mount Vernon, Kentucky. Teresa Parrott, who goes there and works with me in Kentucky, was standing there at the top of the steps, saw this little girl come down the hollow beside the church. Teresa said, I knew everybody that lived up the hollow, I thought, and I didn't know her. She had on flip-flops and a sleeveless blouse, and there was snow on the ground, and it was below zero. And she got up to the top of the steps going up to Pine Hill Baptist Church, and Teresa said to her, Honey, I don't believe I know you. No, ma'am. Are you from around here? No, ma'am. Where do you live? Up the holler. You, you live up the hollow? Uh-huh. When did you move in last night? Well, sweetheart, it, it, it's cold. Don't, don't you have a coat? No. What about your shoes? You got on flip-flops. You got shoes? No. How come? Had to move fast. Oh. Okay. Then Teresa said to her, My name's Teresa. Let's go to the back of the church for a minute. Teresa got another lady from the church and they went to the back. The little girl came out. She had those fur boots on. She had the coat. Then they got some clothes for her to wear. Then they went in for the birthday party for Jesus. Simple thing cake, ice cream, hot dogs, sing the song get the backpack, go home. But that was it. It lasted about an hour. 
But Teresa kept telling me stories about this little girl. It's been a couple of years, but I called her last fall, and I said, Teresa, I'm going to be talking about the backpacks. Tell me about my little girl. And she said, oh, Bill, I haven't talked to you about her in a while, have I? I said, no. She said, you know, she hasn't missed a Sunday in Sunday school. She's here every Sunday night and Wednesday night. I said, Bill, did I tell you that she gave her heart to Jesus and been baptized? And I tell you that story because last Monday I was in Louisville, Kentucky, and Teresa told me the rest of the story. For you see, because a church reached out to care, Brother John, Mom and Dad were just baptized, having given their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's bigger than us. It's kingdom work. And Jesus said, in as much as you have done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Is his priority our priority? Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, thank you for the time that we have with you. Thank you, Father, for Meadowbrook Baptist Church and for their pastor, for Brother John who leads them, and for Sister Karen as she leads the WMU, for the men and women here who not only believe in missions, but they do missions, not only locally, but around the world. Father, stretch our hearts to say, Father, what can we do for you in a bigger way than ever before? For we ask it in Jesus' name.